Tell me the name of the doctor. Who? The main character on the show. Who? The guy in the TARDIS. Who? The guy with the sonic screwdriver. Who? The guy who's a Time Lord. Who? I'm asking you, Doctor Who. That's the doctor's name. Doctor Who's name. Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's it. That's who? Yes. Look, he's got a name, right? All of his companions have names. There's Rose, Jack Harkness, Amy, Roy, Rory, River Song, Clara. What's the doctor's name? No, not, not what. Who? The doctor. Yes. Doctor Who. Yes. We're judging the world and seeing what sucks. We're reviews versus the world. Get inside in here. That's not a song. I will pour I this drink in your lap. So I think <laughs> so that reminds me of the supermarket in Surgood. Oh, it reminds me of Chili Evans. It reminds me of Doctor Who. What? 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 Quite Who, what? 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 Who's in charge of this? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Oh, sorry about that little distraction there. Welcome to this month's Reviews vs. the World podcast. Reviews vs. the podcast. This month we are going to be talking about the one, the only, the Doctor. Well, there's like, there's not one Doctor. There's like, how many now? 12? 13? There's a lot of Doctors. I was a little confused about how John Hurt worked in the numbering. Because he was referred to as the War Doctor. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll get into that. We'll get <laughs> this into that. is all new for me. <laughs> but b- before we talk a little bit more about Doctor Who, let's go around the table, and I want to hear what you guys have been into for the last month. Because, you know, it's been a little while since we've gotten together. So, John, what have you been into? Oh, just catching up on Frasier, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Frasier. Love it. It's actually uh, f- solid. 15 years too late? <laughs> no, uh, this is a second viewing all the way through. It's, um... Uh, hey, you know, it's funny throughout. Like, it holds up, and uh, it's really well done. No, I, I, um, I'm trying to think what other shows I've been, like, binging or what else. Um, wow. Wow, indeed. What have I been doing with my life? <laughs> Probably important things have any, like... Do you have any Sharpie marks on it? <laughs> <laughs> Getting ready for uh, Comic-Con, really. Yes. Salt Lake Comic-Con. Salt Lake Comic-Con Woo! is next week. John and I are both going... Just I am not. Yeah. <laughs> so looking forward to that. That'll be my first time ever going to a Comic Con. It's a lot of fun, and it's supposed to be huge, and we have some great people coming, and I'm just excited to see all the artists and stuff. That's kind of what I've been looking forward to. Um, yeah, we're kind of you know in a slump as far as like big movies and stuff. I guess Everest came out yesterday. Haven't seen that. What? It, it's a it's a movie about Everest and. People climb up and, oh no, there's a storm and we're going to get stuck on the mountain. And uh, why would you climb a mountain in the first place? <laughs> but that's just, you know. <laughs> but I think Stephen has uh, read some comics. Yes. Um, in in my pursuit of ever better comics, keep trying to find the next new great fun thing. Um, I've actually turned to reading a lot of manga recently. Um, one in particular that I've enjoyed recently is called uh, My Love Story, which is... A high school romance about a young man who is 16 years old, and he is six foot four and 280 pounds of pure muscle. So he's this super masculine, really tough guy who is also really ugly. And so girls don't like him; they instead like his best friend, who is this stereotypical Japanese pretty boy. Um, but one day he uh, meets this girl on the subway. The girl is being harassed by a pervert on the subway, so he saves the girl, then punches out the pervert in front of a cop, 
And so he gets suspended from school. The girl keeps trying to hang out with him. He thinks that she's trying to use him to get to his best friend. So he's like, okay, well, I'm a nice guy. I'm going to help them get together. But no, she's actually in love with him. And so eventually they, they kind of confess their feelings. And the whole series so far is about their courtship. And it's the, the comedy comes completely from this really tough, masculine, ugly guy going gaga over this cute little girl trying to catch the flower crown that she made for him when it gets blown off his head. Um, it's just, he makes the funniest faces. At least once an issue, there is a panel that's just him saying, I love her! And his face gets really <laughs> intense! And it's great. It's weird, and I've kind of enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, I think it's actually available. Uh, there's an anime of it, which I've not seen, but that's on uh, Crunchyroll. Um, the manga, I think, might actually be on the Crunchyroll app. I don't know. So once again, what was it called? It's called My Love Story. And I'll remind our listeners that uh, Stephen is a man with a uh, full beard, and uh, <laughs> he's a grown-up. Yes, I am a grown-up <laughs> whose guilty pleasure right now is is uh, teenage love comedies. Um, I'll also say that as far as comics go, I've read Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which came out in trade pretty recently. It's a... Uh, it's not everything I wanted it to be, but it's pretty darn close. Mm -hmm. uh, my only tiny nitpick is with some of the art. I love the artist. Erica Henderson draws some great cartoony figures, um, and her Squirrel Girl is fantastic. Just sometimes, like, there's a scene where Squirrel Girl summons all of these squirrels to climb on her, so she's wearing a suit made out of squirrels, so she's got squirrel armor. Um, but it just looks like a big <laughs> mass of brown. It doesn't look like a bunch of individual squirrels, and so that's kind of disappointing. But that's the only real complaint that I have about the art. Otherwise, it's great. The writing is by Ryan North, who writes Dinosaur Comics, hmm. I believe, the web cartoon. Right. Um, and it's fantastic. The plot of the first arc is Squirrel Girl has to fight and scare off Galactus. Awesome. Squirrel Girl's whole shtick is that she has this ridiculous superpower where she has the proportionate strength of a squirrel, and she can talk to squirrels, <laughs> and somehow she's able to take out the biggest threats in the Marvel Universe. She her, beat Doctor Doom. Her first appearance, yeah. she beat Doctor Doom. A later appearance, she beat up Thanos in front of the Watcher. And the Watcher is there, and he's like, I am the Watcher, and I can tell you that Thanos was Thanos, and was not, in fact, a clone, a duplicate, a robot, a simulacrum, or anything of the sort, but was, in fact, the actual mad titan Thanos. <laughs> I, I don't want to give away the ending. Squirrel Girl does not necessarily defeat Galactus. It's better. It is the absolute perfect ending for this story. You have to just kind of read it. Because it's great. she bugs bunny her way out it's of the situation? It's great. Okay. That is all I'm going to say about that. All right, you, you are Marvel's casting director. <clears throat> Who would you cast as Squirrel Girl in a movie? Kristen Skull. That's what I'm <laughs> Not even. Not even. <laughs> Um, you seen that? You seen the improv bit where it's Kristen Shaw as a horse? <laughs> Just oh, YouTube that. Geez. You'll hate me, and then you'll love me. You'll hate me again, then you'll love me. It's a long bit. It's like, ridiculous. The only concern is that Squirrel Girl is technically a college student, so Kristen Shaw might be a little old. But oh, they can. That yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Like I think she would be perfect. Um, I really do. Um, the last thing that I wanted to mention um, with Star Wars coming out later this year. What? Yeah, what? I, I, I haven't heard anything about this. Well, I'm not going to talk about the movie that's actually coming out, John, <laughs> so you can unplug your ears. <sighs> um, I have not been excited about it, because I kind of haven't cared. However, I have checked out Star Wars Rebels, 
which I've is, heard good things. Um, yeah. I'm not quite done with the first season yet. I'm about uh, two thirds of the way through, and I don't love it necessarily. Um, but it feels very Star Wars to me. Like mm-hmm. it's it's got more of a vibe from what you got from the original trilogy as opposed to the prequels. Um, it reassures me that Disney kind of gets what makes Star Wars good. And so all of the where, where George Lucas, the creator of Star of Star Wars, did not. George Lucas, I'm not gonna, I'm not here to dish on George Lucas. I'm gonna say that uh, the stuff that is really good about Star Wars, you know, some of the the great set pieces, the action is all there, but also some of the the quieter character moments, the philosophy, characters that actually are you know characters and not cogs in a plot machine. Um, Star Wars Rebels does have some decent characters. Uh, they're not my favorite characters, but they're they're serviceable. The best one, I think, of my personal favorite is the alien who is voiced by Steve Blum um, from Legend of Korra and Cowboy Bebop and some other great, great voice work. Um, who is he in Korra? In Korra, he is uh, Amon from oh, season one. Oh. Yeah, he's a great voice, super yeah. talented man. Um but yeah, they've got a girl in Mandalorian armor who's kind of a punk and likes to spray paint things. And so she's got characteristics. Um, they've got a young punk Jedi in training with a weird little slingshot weapon that's uh, kind of silly. They've got a Twi'lek who is not the uh, sexy eye candy girl, but she is in fact the team mom. That's the the alien species with the two twin tails right, that dance right, sexily right. in Jabba's this, palace. Yeah, this room is familiar with Twi'lek. That's fair, Twi'lek that's too. fair. Okay, maybe some of our listeners are not. <laughs> anyway, taking the, the character that's normally the fan service character and turning them into a responsible, mature adult woman, kind of a cool move. Yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. does a voice. Um, you had me, then you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the villain is voiced by, I cannot remember his name. James Earl Jones. No, although James Earl Jones <laughs> is in the pilot. He's in the first episode. He has like five seconds of screen time as Darth Vader. Um, the villain is voiced by the same guy who did the voice of... Um, Darn it, the season one villain in Avatar The Last Airbender. He's in The Patriot. He's a fantastic... Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. Ah. Jason Isaacs voices the Inquisitor, who's the evil sort of Jedi guy who's their enemy. He's fantastic. There's some intriguing stuff going on in Star Wars Rebels. So If, if, you, if you don't know, Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. Oh, third. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I've only seen each of the Harry Potter movies once, if I've seen them at all. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so I've been into some, some fun stuff this month. I, cool. I neglected to mention, I had family in town, so it wasn't a whole lot of geeky stuff going on, mostly just playing the Jackbox party games. Oh, <laughs> so Oh, fun. my gosh. Have you played Quiplash yet? Uh-uh. I have oh, not. It's the best one. Really? It's, it's better than Fibbage. Better than Fibbage. Wow. Mile, it's, it's, everyone answers two questions at the start, and then they present them and everyone votes. And you can have a lot of people voting on it, but only, like, eight people playing. And so it'll say, think of the last award you would want to win and so you it's just you know gives you kind of a platform to be funny and for everybody so it's you know like questions like that that are leading into areas that you can you know make it really funny and then depending on how many votes you get you get points off of that and there are three rounds it's a lot of fun but i also was coerced was peer pressured 
by my family into watching both Pitch Perfect movies. <laughs> they are not they're awful. They're really funny. <laughs> yeah. I, and, uh, like, I, I could still, like, make fun of it, but, like, it, it knew what kind of movie it was. And the second one is, like, beat for beat the exact same plot as the first one. And I was <laughs> fine with that. And, you know, it was really entertaining. I thought it was just going to be, like, Glee and all about, like, singing and, like, you know, girl power, just stuff that wasn't for me, but, like, fine if you like that, whatever. I thought it would just be annoying. It was really funny. I, so. I didn't love Pitch Perfect. I did like the music. I did think the music was the best part. But I was just, well, I, I yeah, watched the movie, and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do with this. This 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 is nothing just, to me. It's just ridiculous. That's yeah. for the point of being ridiculous. I, I, I will say my favorite song in either Pitch Perfect though is Pitch Perfect Two when the German group sing oh. the Muse song. And this the the fact that they work in the accents and the song oh, yeah. too is like, so ridiculous. Over the top. Oh over yeah. Over the top. No, I love um and I'm trying to remember the character's name. I think it's Lily. But the one girl who speaks really oh, good, oh right? she's hilarious. She says the funniest crap. She's oh, hilarious. Man. So, but that's yeah, that's the only like new thing. I've, I've been keeping a list of all the movies that I've seen for the first time this year, and those were the last two on my list. So. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, very yeah. cool. So with me, first of all, I had a baby. <laughs> Congratulations on successfully breeding again. Again, <laughs> it's my fourth. Oh, Sorry, the applause. Oh. Uh, sorry, we were distracted by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> oh, what would you guys want? Oh. oh, my. So, yeah, had a baby, and she's adorable. and that, She is adorable. That, that did give me some time to get a little bit of, of happy geek time in. And <laughs> yes, so, I have a baby. That means I don't have to go to work, and I can stay home and watch Doctor Who. Exactly. <laughs> but, so I, I've been playing two games a lot. The first one, I, I've finally gotten into a MOBA. Oh. And it's Heroes of the Storm. Okay. Which, if you don't know what a MOBA is, it's basically five people versus five people online battles with... Imagine, like, Warcraft 3 controls, mm -hmm. or, like, Starcraft controls, mm -hmm. and you have these little minions that will just automatically go, and you have all these different abilities that you have to do, and the point is to get into, destroy all the towers leading into the enemy's base, and to destroy their base. Um, and it's... I, I've tried before with League of Legends, which is the big, big one. Yeah. I've tried with Dota and Dota 2, and I just could not get into it, could not get into it. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the community, where they were very not accepting of newbies. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but then Heroes of the Storm is by Blizzard, which they know how to take a genre and make it accessible. I mean, how many people did you know who played MMOs? Before World of, of Warcraft. Like, there was EverQuest. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah. And stuff like that that no one really cared about. And that's what Blizzard has done once again. Even though MOBAs are already huge, but they've made it very accessible. And Heroes of the Storm is a lot of fun. My favorite character to use is actually this little panda girl who's a healer. <laughs> which I didn't, I didn't expect to like her as much as I do, but she's, she's kind of grown on me. And she's adorable. Um, and then other than that, I've been playing Super Mario Maker. So that's where you make your own levels and you stuff? You make your own Mario levels, and then you 
You can upload them and play other ah, people's levels. And you, I never have any cliffs, ever. You can <laughs> throw in so much stuff. All like, the blocks would be all hats. Yeah. Like, 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 for example, I have one level that I've uploaded that I've only that only one person has passed so far online. Where what it is is it's Super Mario World style, mm. and the name of the level is "Don't Catch the Falling Stars." So what it is is this huge long pit with just a ton of winged paratroopas, mm-hmm. Koopa Troopas, uh-huh. and you just bounce on them. All the way over. But I've put a crap ton of Lakitu's up at the top where you can't get just throwing stars. Oh, instead of throwing the spinies. You say this. And so if you if you touch one of the stars, then you can't bounce off of the Koopas anymore. You just go straight through them. Jeez. Oh, uh, that's evil. Yeah. <laughs> that's so mean. But I, I also put I also put a back doorway that people can get through it. Where at the beginning I I made out of blocks basically a a giant no sign you know the circle with a cross through it mm-hmm. and put a bunch of stars in there but you can actually grab a trampoline and it, and take it over and jump on top of there and there's a block where you can go up the vine and you can get a cape and basically just fly right across uh-huh. over everybody but just the things that people are doing in this game is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they have, they have all sorts of automatic levels. In other words, where you don't move and the level will just move you. <laughs> That's cool. actually kind of fun. And they're really well designed, and you can put a lot of different effects in it. Like you can have, like, if somebody hits this block, you have disco music, and the disco ball comes down, and lights flash, Crazy. and all sorts of fun stuff. It, it it's a blast. It is so much fun. A lot of people were doing this already. Um, with, like, the, the Mario engine. So it's kind of nice to have an official tool, using the scare quotes here, the official tool to, uh, to do that. I mean, I, th- I think that's cool. That sort of community building is not something you usually see from Nintendo, honestly. Oh, I, I, and it's amazing. Like, you know, there are certain requirements that you have to upload. First of all, you have to have beaten the level to upload. So you can't have impossible levels. Huh. That's good. So that's why you put the back door in, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, no. I did beat it both ways. Uh huh. Did uh-huh. you make a Did you make a level where you're just frying Mario with a magnifying glass? <laughs> <laughs> you can just picture this level. Ooh. Anyway, so Mario Maker, tons of fun, tons of fun. Very creative Sounds stuff cool. that's already out there, and people are discovering more and more how things much, you can do. How much there is in Mario? It's not just jumping on blocks and yeah. Koopa Troopas and stuff. Well, and and you can do you can do. Regular Mario, Mario Brothers One, Mario Brothers Three, mm-hmm. Mario World, or New Super Mario Brothers U That's cool. are the four different styles that you can do, cool. and you can actually switch seamlessly between them. And there's different um, there's different types of levels that you can do. You can do a ghost house, you can do an airship, you can do, can you do the, underwater. The that, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Good. You can do you can do the underground. It's really in depth, and I I love it. Nate called that review, so he's he's going to be reviewing it at some point. Right on. But other than that, I also have been doing some reading. And Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about manga, and reading is what gets the nerd comment. That's hilarious. No, no, I was thinking about that. You didn't say it, though. <clears throat> Steven, you're a nerd. Oh. So there we go. Thanks for the clarification. I was going to say, it doesn't really... I mean, mean much in the room of nerds, but, you know. 
Right. What you been reading? Anyway, so I have been reading a book called Steelheart. Is what I just finished reading, and it's Brandon Sanderson, which I I okay. love Brandon Sanderson's books. They're they're usually great. He's a he's a great writer. This might be my least favorite book that I've read from him, but that's because it's meant as a young adult novel, oh. and I'm not always the biggest fan of young adult novels. And it's young adult post apocalyptic. Uh, that's that's a whole genre by itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it is actually very interesting how he sets things up. I'm actually on the second book now. Um, but it is basically that this thing came into the sky called Calamity. And because, and because of that, people started getting superpowers. Hmm. But for some reason, all these people with superpowers were, like, corrupted and evil. And so, basically... They've taken over the world, more or less. You know, like, they'll claim a city, and different superpower people will fight each other over the city. And, of course, you know, they'll just kill regular people left and right, because they're evil at yeah. that point. And it's set up really well how... One thing that Brandon Sanderson does great is just world-building and, you know, setting rules to things. Mm -hmm. And so, like, superpowers, everybody can have... Everybody who has superpowers has two, usually, abilities... And they all have a weakness that can completely negate their ability. So they all have their own kryptonite. Is it common to anyone who can fly that they have the same weakness? No. Okay. No, everyone has their own weakness. Okay. And of course, the supervillains all try their best to hide their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want people to know about it. But this story is about a group of rebels trying to fight against the epics and kill them. And... So they have to try to find the the special, you know, find the weakness, and then make elaborate plans to catch them and and destroy them. So it's also kind of heisty, mm -hmm. and it's a lot of fun. So I I really recommend it. Um, even though, like I said, it's not my favorite of Brandon Sanderson's. It's my least favorite, but it's still a good book. Mm -hmm. All right, very cool novels. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have pictures. Where are the pictures? <laughs> Alright, so let's get talking about Doctor Who. Who? We did that already. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hey. The... Doctor Who. Alright, so I, I wanted to get started, just first of all, with how did you get to... How did you get to know the Doctor? Like, where... Where did your desire come from? What's your history with Doctor Who? So I'll start with this one. Um, my dad is a huge science fiction buff. Um, he loves, like, the really bad, like, 1960s, 1950s uh, science fiction movies. He's the reason I know who Godzilla is. Because he, <laughs> he showed us all the Godzilla films. Um, he also liked Doctor Who. Like, Doctor Who was actually a staple in my house. Um, for several years when I was a kid. Um, it was on PBS. Um, I grew up watching, actually, the Sylvester McCoy Doctor. Um, and from there I also went back and saw some of the earlier ones. Uh, the, of course, uh, Fourth Doctor being probably the most prominent. But I've seen a little bit of, I think, every Doctor at this point. Um, Sylvester McCoy is actually my favorite of the classic Doctors. And a lot of that is nostalgic connection to it. Um, well, I... Now, I haven't done much of the classic Who, but I've heard that he's, like, the most playful. 
I don't know that that's true. I think Tom Baker was probably more playful. Really? Sylvester McCoy's Doctor is probably the darkest of them all. Hmm. Yeah, because at that point there was there was a plan. My understanding is there was a plan for Sylvester McCoy to wind up having an evil future version of himself that was going to like destroy the world or something like that. Um, there was always these hints that he had this really dark side to his personality that never materialized because the show got cancelled. So, of course, Doctor Who was kind of out of my life for a long time. I did see the 8th Doctor movie uh, with uh, Paul McGann. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that and was, like most other people, disappointed by it because <laughs> it was not very good. Um, Doctor Who disappeared again. When it came back, I resisted watching it for a while because I was actually in college at the time and I was busy watching Law & Order on TNT for eight hours a day. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, I didn't really get into Doctor Who again until um, well into, I want to say, the fourth season. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about the episode that got me into Doctor Who in tonight's podcast. I have since fallen off. I have not seen, I've not been a regular Doctor Who watcher since the end of Series 6, the second Matt Smith year. And so... Peter Capaldi is still basically like this unexplored territory of Doctor Who. Um, I've never seen anything with Clara before today. So I've, I've known Doctor Who my entire life. I've loved Doctor Who my entire life. But I, it's a cycle. I don't, I'm not a constant with Doctor Who. Hmm. Makes sense. It was unknown to me until maybe about ten years ago, nine years ago. I can't remember the first time ever hearing about it, but all of a sudden people were just obsessed. And <laughs> I guarantee you it will be the most popular costume at Comic-Con because it's the easiest cosplay, It's really easy. You know, and everyone is in a bow tie and a fez. There are occasional scarves. Now, you know, they're, they're a sonic screwdriver, but I... There's brown trench coats. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw... I saw Blink, which is not really representative of Doctor Who, but a lot of people's first episode. Really great episode. And I thought, oh, I'll give this a shot. And watched a couple of Christopher Eccleston's and, like, didn't really didn't really like it. And we'll talk about that when we talk about Dalek. Or Dalek but uh, I just, I was like, ah, it's just too low budget and it's not really grabbing me. People kept talking about it. People were obsessed with David Tennant and then Matt Smith. Just obsessed with it. And so, mm-hmm. watched these and I think I'm going to give them all a try. And, I like, there were things that would pop up and I kind of was aware of the backstory and wanted to know more about it, and now I really want to know because things have happened in these episodes that are interesting. So, I, um, yeah, and, you know, I I'm, I'm, was raised on Marty McFly and Back to the Future, so any time to travel stories, you know, <laughs> got me at least a little interested, so. Very cool. Yep. So, Brady? So, with me, I, I was raised on Bill and Ted, so, <laughs> so time travel... <laughs> Oh yeah, very different time traveling phone box. No, hold on. Yeah, okay. As long as we acknowledge that it's both in a phone box, but they didn't have as much room as the TARDIS. They had to like tip it on its side so that like so crates and everybody else could fit. Oh gosh, good times, good times. Such a stoner movie. Oh man. Anyway, so my history with Doctor Who actually is not as long as either of your histories. Oh wow. Um. Well, I, I guess I guess you could say going back to when I was a kid, and I remember a Simpsons episode where the comic book guy got a hundred tacos, <laughs> and then he goes, "This will supply enough sustenance for my Doctor Who marathon." <laughs> and then in another episode where he's playing the collector as a bad guy for a Treehouse he has of Horror, one of them in there. and he has Tom Baker's Doctor with a scarf, uh-huh. with a scarf. 
you know, yeah. in yeah, captured. And that was my entire introduction to Doctor Who. Like all that I knew is it's a guy named Doctor Who and for some reason he has a big scarf. And I knew nothing else. Actually, <coughs> his name is not Doctor Who. He is just the Doctor, and that's a title, not a name. <coughs> Go watch season seven, and then... Okay. Yeah, okay, I actually have not seen season seven, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> there is an episode called The Name of the Doctor. Yeah, where, where the name of the Doctor is actually a plot point. No, I have not seen it. Hey, yeah, don't, I haven't seen... <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Turns well, out it's Stuart. Aww. His name is Stuart Doctor. <laughs> what a letdown. <laughs> but yes. anyway, so so then, you know, I always have... I've always tried to keep up with geek culture, and people kept on telling me to try Doctor Who, try Doctor Who, try Doctor Who, and I just didn't get it. I didn't get why people are obsessed with it. I was kind of annoyed with people being obsessed with it. Steven was one of those people. I wasn't that obsessed with it. Well, you you had talked about it quite a few times. Uh, okay, that, I was a little point. obsessed with it for a while. Mm. And finally, um, I was actually just browsing the web, and I saw a preview for Matt Smith coming on to Doctor Who, and it's the first one with Matt Smith. And so I watched the preview, and I'm like, okay, that, that had some witty dialogue in there. Maybe I'll give it a shot. And so mm. my first Doctor was actually Matt Smith. And I went and I watched all of that first season of Matt Smith's, and then went back to Christopher Eccleston. Ooh. <sighs> we'll talk. Yeah. And and then, you know, worked my way back up, and ever since then, I've been very loyal of, oh, Doctor Who was on, I have to go watch it. Mm. And I have loved it ever since. Even though I cannot watch it at home, because my wife does not even want to hear the theme song. <laughs> she saw a scary part of a classic Who episode when she was when she was little, and now the theme song itself freaks her out. Well, X-Files theme song style. I can't, I can't do Dark Shadows. <laughs> oh man, my sister-in-law loves Dark Shadows. I've never seen it. Oh. But let's be honest, the theme song to Doctor Who... It's a little creepy. It is. It's a oh, little it's very creepy. creepy. And in the Peter Capaldi episode, the music it gets, gets worse. It gets creepier. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. actually, that was the, the thing. The graphics were cool. The thing that I noticed today, watching the Peter Capaldi episode for the first time, the theme song is way more similar to what Classic Who mm-hmm. was like than oh, really? New Who. Because New Who has a lot more orchestration behind it. Classic Who was very bare bones. It just has the... I prefer you who to classic you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we watched a few episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did, in fact. Let's Five talk about them. them. All uh, right. So All we started right. with Dalek, or Dalek and a dollar short. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or, or, you know, it might actually be pronounced Dalek. Oh, you know what? Right. <laughs> what has two thumbs and actually lives you in the UK? You would be a good oh, Dalek, Stephen. It. They say it! It says Dalek! It didn't work for my joke. <laughs> Fair. So what I want to know, the picture on IMDb right here that just popped up, Rose is touching it. Didn't the doctor, like, sit her down, like, we're going to go adventuring, and if you see any trash cans with little mixers on the front of them and blinky lights, don't 
touch it. <laughs> uh, no, he did not. Shouldn't obviously. that be a sheet? Shouldn't it be like everything I learned, everything I know in life, I learned from the doctor, and it's just a list of aliens, and they got like the Cybermen who <laughs> look like Legos, uh, and, and, and the, the Daleks, and the, and the Master, whoever else, or the big villains. Shouldn't he have like a, in the door of the TARDIS, like a wanted poster? Shouldn't that be your first lesson? Now, now to be fair, uh-huh. the Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who is based on the premise. That there was this war where all of the Time Lords and all of the Daleks were destroyed. So, according to everything that Christopher Eccleston's doctor knew at that point, there were no Daleks. They were all dead. You know what? Uh, you still see signs about Bigfoot and uh, Nessie. Don't and... say that they're dead! No, I mean, wh- I'm uh, pretty sure they I'm actually sorry. exist in Doctor Who's world, too. I'm yeah. sorry, Brady. There probably is a crappy classic Who episode about well, that. Oh, there certainly is. <laughs> I'm just saying, there should be warning signs. But, be that as it may, they travel to 2012. Ooh. The far-off future of 2012 <laughs> in the to distant Utah. land of Utah. <laughs> I think my first notes here are... Just, I fell asleep. I was like, boring, been there, but... <laughs> then it picks up, because it gets right into the action. They're like, oh, hey, we're in a vault full of stuff. And then he goes up to a Cyberman face. Yeah. And they're, they're really bad guys. They're super bad. Yes, yes. So, can I just say, any time that I see, oh, okay, well, the new, the next Doctor Who episode, it's a Dalek episode. It's a Cyberman episode. And I immediately roll my eyes and think, these, these things should not keep coming back into episodes because they, they have these great new villains. I... I love the Weeping Angels, I love the Silence, and uh, let's just get rid of the Daleks. Isn't it, is it fan service, do you think? Oh, definitely. It is definitely fan service. Because they're Doctor classic Who, villains, right? Like, when Doctor Who came back, fans were complaining about the first episodes, because it didn't feel like Doctor Who without the Daleks. Hmm. And I personally am quite fond of the Daleks. I think they're overused in New Who. In my opinion... This episode should have been the only time we ever saw the Daleks since the reboot. Yeah. We had it is not. <laughs> we have had some decent Dalek episodes. True. Um, there have been a couple that were good. Um, we I won't really get into them too much because John hasn't seen a lot of them yet. Well, but the Daleks come back a lot, and they're, they're used pretty well in several different episodes. But in my opinion, this should have been the last Dalek episode. Mm-hmm. Because the death of the last Dalek... Spoiler, we didn't even get to that part of the show yet. Um, That would have been great. Well, here's what I want to know. He can go anywhere in time and space. Wouldn't he just avoid places and times where there were Daleks? Again, he thought the Daleks were gone. Right, so in other episodes that I haven't seen yet, does he just stumble upon them? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. much. There are all kinds of Daleks up in here. Now, Daleks are also time travelers. Oh, They also have the ability to time travel. It's not quite what the Time Lords have. Uh Um, In the mythology of New Who, the thing that happened between the Eighth Doctor, which is canon, that terrible movie is part of the canon, (laughs) and uh, the Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, was a period of time called the Time War, where the Time Lords and the Daleks fought each other to quote-unquote extinction. But the problem is they keep coming back. We keep seeing more Daleks. We keep seeing the Master. We, they're not gone. Well, that's... I mean, Tupac's been dead for years. Yeah, that's true. And he keeps putting out albums. There yeah, you yeah, go. yeah. So they're on an island somewhere. So, I, personally, like, Dalek was an episode that really meant a lot to me. Um, because it 
was a way of paying homage to what Doctor Who was originally like. Like, those early episodes that Brady has said that he is not fond of, the the old Who. Um, a lot of what the charm of Doctor Who was having these kind of silly-looking monsters, but getting them played completely straight. Mm. Um, the Daleks were always goofy-looking, but that was due to the budget. Yeah. But they were genuinely terrifying to the children who grew up watching the show. And I think it's important that we remember that Doctor Who is, at its heart, a intended to show. be a children's and family show. It is something that parents can watch with their kids. That was always the point of Doctor Who. Back in the very beginning, it was meant to be educational, even, which it got away from that pretty quickly. Yeah. But the Daleks were always presented as a credible threat, even though they looked ridiculous. And so here we have the ridiculous-looking Dalek, and they try to play it really, really straight and really, really terrifying. And your mileage may vary on whether or not that actually works, but uh, that is certainly Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, I think that they did a good job of showing that he, he is a threat. But one thing kept on distracting me in this episode, and that is the actor that they had playing the guy with the mustache. Henry Van Staten. Johnson. All that I could think the entire time was Turd Ferguson. Because <laughs> he reminded me so much of Norm MacDonald's Burt Reynolds impression with that awful American accent. See, he's a character actor that pops up a lot. He's in the Bourne movies. And, like, pops up in... Uh, he was in Captain Phillips. Oh, Saving Private Ryan, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that now. So, like, just seeing him, I was like, oh! So it kind of added a bit of legitimacy to right. the show. While at the same time, I was really struggling to be like, that, that trash can's going to kill everybody? Really? Gonna... <laughs> yeah. This, this episode's... But then, they, I mean, I think they did it. I think they, you know... It's certainly... I watched the episode again a couple days ago in preparation for this podcast. And I, I don't think I ever realized just how apologetic this episode is about the Daleks. It's mm. like, oh, they don't have wheels, and they can't go upstairs. No, they can fly. Oh, they've got a little plunger. That thing's just silly. Oh, it sucked his face off. Yeah. And then it absorbed the internet. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it, like, I, I never realized just how almost embarrassed this episode is that the Daleks look so goofy. But to me, the thing that sells it and the thing that makes these, these creatures a credible threat within the confines of Doctor Who is the way the actors opposite them react to their presence. Specifically, Christopher Eccleston... Trying to escape the room. He yeah. kills it in <laughs> this episode. It might be my favorite Christopher Eccleston episode just in terms of how well Christopher Eccleston acts. The Doctor dances. Well, no, there are better episodes, I think, overall, that are better written, but Christopher Eccleston's performance is more solid in this episode than in anything else in that first season. I well, once yeah, once positive. he comes face to um, optical probe with it, you know, <laughs> it's it's interesting how they play it because yeah, it's kind of goofy, but you forget about that when he it's they're both the last of their kind, and they switch where the Dalek is kind of changing and. The doctor is like, no, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. Whatever you're going to do, <laughs> let's kill this thing. So he's all, exterminate, you know. And so they kind of switch roles. And it it, it, it worked out really well. Well, and, and this is something that I think that Dalek episodes actually do explore really well. And it's the line, you would make a good Dalek. And, yes. And, yeah. you know, just that realization in Christopher Eccleston's face as he says that. And it's like... Don't you dare say that about me. But at the same time, he has to kind of acknowledge that. That's how he's acting. That's how he's acting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what else I wrote down. This show is lit like a public access high school show. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, did like, I did like watching them in chronological order because the production value got better and better. And some of them, like, Girl, Girl in the Fireplace was fine. Mm. We'll, we'll, like, yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was funny that uh, he- Henry Van Stanton had a portrait of himself behind his desk. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, if I were ever a uh, boss of some kind in a secret lair of some kind, I would want to owning the internet myself. Yeah, he owning the he internet. Up, he used alien technology to invent broadband. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I, I hate Van Staten. I think he's, yeah, he, I think he's, he's a terrible character. He's honestly, kind of like a one-note bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a little bit afraid when they when they said that Salt Lake City was was you know the most immediate in danger city because they would hit your house first on the way oh, they, 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 they would and, then, what, I, I, and then, I, then I remembered that 2012 already happened and <laughs> the doctor already stopped the Dalek <laughs> I decided that after looking at this and you know getting to the end of the episode the, the Dalek wasn't defeated by its newfound feelings but the moment it tried to access the internet from Utah Comcast exterminate <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh uh, but yeah good flip I thought where because he made contact with Rose, that kind of messed him up. And then when they opened up the Dalek and you actually saw what it was, it looked you like... Know, it it's looked, Krang who's melted! I thought it looked like the booger drawings from Ren and Stimpy to me. That's really what it looked like. It grossed me out so bad. It's the things Cthulhu sneezes when he has a cold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, the Daleks worked best with sort of an aura of mystery yeah. around them. Yeah. Which is another reason that I think this should have been the last Dalek episode, because you get to see that underneath their armor and behind all of that intimidating weaponry and those crazy shields that make bullets just completely disappear, they're kind of pathetic little biddies. Right. They're just, they're just, just nothing. A bucket of snot. Yeah, just a bucket of snot and an eyeball that only wants to be loved and feel the sunlight. Oh wait, no it doesn't, it must die. <laughs> Alright, so... The way that we arranged our episodes is we did, I did set it so that we would basically talk about one doctor at a time. So, first of all, before we talk about Christopher Eccleston's doctor and, and thoughts about that from this episode, uh, what did you guys think about the companion? What did you guys think about Rose? Oh, Rose. Oh, Rose. I understand Whovians don't really like her. There's a, there is a huge, like, civil war because there are people who love Rose. I hate Rose. There are people who hate Rose. Now, why do you hate Rose? And because I think that she's Rose? kind of an awful actress in the role. She gets a little bit better as the seasons progress. She was good in Day the Doctor. Yeah. Well, she's well, also, we'll, she's we'll, also we'll not playing Rose. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, Billy Piper does does get a little bit better, but overall she's just she's just annoying. Hmm. And and I think that the Cockney accent has you know something to do with that as well, and that's probably horrible of me to say. But I every time that she speaks, I just go. There's no. a bit of that in the first two episodes that I saw with Christopher Eccleston. I don't mind her as yeah. much, but yeah. I could see both ways. Personally, I'm actually pretty fond of Rose as a character to begin with. Um, I think she's fine. I think when Doctor Who came back, you needed a character like Rose. The very first uh, Doctor Who companions. We're like a middle-aged school teacher and another middle-aged school teacher. Um, again, it was supposed to be an educational show. Mm. Um, so having a slightly younger character was helpful. Having a character from Earth was, you know, important. And have having they not it always be, been from Earth? There have been a few that have not been from Earth. Oh, okay. Um, and another thing was kind of having an almost unremarkable character. Like, Rose isn't every man. 
She's Every woman. Slate. Yeah, she kind of is a blank slate, and you need that when you're Especially introducing... Especially with her acting. Hey, <laughs> I think Billy Piper is a perfectly fine actress. Yeah, just there, not as Rose. Um, I think she's fine as Rose. I have different problems with Rose. Yeah. Um, when Rose eventually gets written out of the show, um, the next two companions that the Doctor has are basically written as responses to Rose. They are both living in Rose's shadow. One of them very explicitly, and the other one, who is Donna, who's great. Oh. Donna's great, and it's kind of a shame that we didn't get to watch any Donna <sighs> stuff for this. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my fault. I talked Brady out of it. <laughs> um, but, like, Donna exists to be the exact opposite of Rose. Mm-hmm. But Rose casts a shadow over the entirety of Russell T. Davis' run on Doctor Who as the showrunner. And I was bugged by that because I love the way Rose was written out of the show. I thought it was a great conclusion to her story. It was bittersweet, but ultimately it was a happy ending. And it gets her to not be able to come back. Yeah, it was. I, there was just this little tinge of tragedy. I don't want to describe it too much again because John hasn't quite seen it yet. Yeah, sorry. But I thought it was great, and I thought that should have been the end of Rose. But she keeps coming back in the subtext, eventually in the text in some ways, and it just was horrible to me how basically Rose ruined the companions for the next two seasons after she was written out. And that's the reason that I am not terribly fond of her. I think she's perfectly fine in the first two seasons. Um, And I've got no real problem with her. I I have a problem with her legacy, though. That's my take on Rose. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right, well, how about Christopher Eggleston? It's a pity he didn't do it longer. Yeah. I think he could have got hit his stride better. Because I like him as an actor. I liked, I liked him on Heroes a lot. Mm. You know, when Heroes was good in that first season. <laughs> it just occurs to me that since Doctor Who, Christopher Eccleston has picked some crappy, crappy movies and yeah. TV shows to this be This was in. roughly around the same... Well, I guess a little after his run on Doctor Who. Hey, he's Malekith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's Malekith. He is in the worst Marvel movie. Yep. Uh, Alright, hold on. <laughs> since Iron Man... Okay, Iron Man 2 is kind of... Hmm. I liked Thor. Thor 2 is the worst of the Marvel movies. I'm, so I will you. stand by that opinion. <sighs> I, still I agree. We have we had another podcast where yeah. we talked about that. Yeah. But anyway. Well, yeah. So Chris Eccleston. I think he's alright. Um, I think that he... You know, I didn't like him as much as the other Doctors that we watched, but he still had some good um, like moments, like like I was talking about earlier, like him and the Dalek one-on-one like that. Oh, uh, there's, there's a particular scene in Dalek when he is yelling... At, at the Dalek through the communicators, right before the you would have made a good Dalek line, where he's just so livid. He it's Specifically, he calls the Dalek filth, and the way he says filth is so strong, and he spits, and he's got this little blob of spit on his mouth. He's actually foaming. He is so angry at this thing. Um, that's the moment that convinces me that Christopher Eccleston really was the Doctor. See, like, and, and, and the thing is, you know, I think that out of well, actually, Capaldi. But other than <laughs> Capaldi, out of the out of all the new Doctors, that he does angry the best. He probably does angry the best out of the old Doctors as well. It's been a while since I've seen some of the, the Peter David and some of the other ones. Um, but yeah, uh, Christopher Eccleston had a lot of rage to him. And considering the mythology, again, this is a guy who just barely came out of this massively destructive war where all of his people died... Anger is an emotion he should be able to play really well. And so Christopher Eccleston was the perfect casting 
for this role. Mm. But I agree that he hadn't quite hit his stride yet. Um, and he didn't, he didn't like playing the Doctor. He didn't like it. So he left. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I, I, think that, I think that also, just in general, that first season... It's I, 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 I think that yeah. the, the special effects and even the writing were not good enough to match what Christopher Eccleston brought to the table. Which might be part of the reason he left. I don't know the details of that. But I totally agree. The first season is pretty rough. Burping garbage can. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Oh. And that's another thing that Dalek is... That's another reason that this episode is so significant. Because up until this point... It was the, ridiculous. Oh, the episodes have... Burping garbage cans, farting aliens, a piece of skin as a yeah, villain. That's what turned me off of Doctor Who. And then until I saw Blink, I didn't, you know, have any interest in watching because I was like, Ugh. Yeah, this is this is a show that you cannot tell people to watch from the beginning because the beginning is so bad. Once you get into it, there is good stuff in those episodes that make them worth watching. I actually don't hate the farting aliens as much as most people. Um, because I think there are some really good things in those episodes, but I didn't start there. My first episode of New Who was The Girl in the Fireplace. Which is a great transition, but we're going to take a break. Ah! And we will be back in, oh, about ten seconds for you, but a little bit longer for us. Woo! <laughs> All right, and welcome back. Woohoo! That's normally we normally have like a weird little uh, like dialogue thing going on while we start recording. No, we're just we're just going right in, are we? I could tell a joke. Uh, all right, go for it. I have to think of one first. No, well, <laughs> let's let's just go, what's, guys. What's, what's, you're on the spot. What's green and has fifty-seven wheels? I don't know. Grass. I lied about the wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I love dad jokes. Classic. All right, and we're back. <clears throat> Girl in the fireplace. Yes. So, what are your thoughts on Girl on the Fireplace? It, it is our David Tennant episode that we watched, of course. Yes, it is. <laughs> Watching him, it, it felt like, comparing him to the other Doctors, it felt more like like he was the real deal and everybody else was like a different version of him. Like It just felt like he's the real Doctor and everyone else is like... Not quite the doctor. I don't know. It was it was just weird to me. Like I, I maybe it's because I've seen probably his, more of his episodes than everybody else. But it's been long enough that like I, I you know don't have any particular attachment. But now I do. Now it's you know I'm a David Tennant fan. I don't know. Yeah, I think David Tennant has done more Doctor Who than any of the current Doctors. I think even more seasons? than Matt Smith. He did three seasons plus five specials plus another special. Um, because Russell Davies didn't know when to stop with the specials. <laughs> uh, well, we can talk about that later. Um, but yeah, David Tennant did a lot of, of Doctor Who stuff, and he loved the role. And I think he still loves the role, even though he's been out of it now for a long time. It's been like at least eight years, I think. Well, I know. Um, we're, going to talk, we're going to talk about Day of the Doctor, of course. Of course. And when he heard that he would have the opportunity to do that. He was very excited to revisit that role because, you know, it's something where, you know, when you're the Doctor and you're gone, you don't expect to come back again. Well, Doctor Who, you always expect to come back again. Are you <laughs> kidding true. me? That's true. Every single Doctor has the chance to come back. They did a special with the first three Doctors, although the very first Doctor has already died. died by that point. They've had the five Doctors. Now they've had the 
12 and a half Doctors. Um, like, Doctor Who is, of all the characters that you can play in fiction, this is the one that you're most likely to be able to come back just to. Just a side note, do they ever explain what the connection is between the Doctor and Earth, of all places? He just really likes it. He's You know how some people are, like, Japanophiles? Or Anglophiles? Yeah, he's an Earthophile. Okay. That's really all there is to it, I think. Yeah. Although the sense. Doctor Who movie did make some weird point about him being half-human. Um, no, I think that had something to do with... Never mind. That, that fact gets ignored. Okay, good. So It's like, I don't need to know an origin story beyond he, there was a war. You know, like, I don't want to know, like... And he liked to play Jax when he was little. I don't, you know, that's... Yeah, they get into some of that sometimes, but really, he's just this guy who... Took a box and went off and did some time traveling. Good enough it. for me. Yep. And, like, the character of the Doctor has always been a bit of a trickster. I don't think Christopher Eccleston really ever had the trickster role mm-hmm. come up. David Tennant is totally the trickster. Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. Um, I, it even feels like it comes up in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not, like, if he's not actively laying traps for his opponents, although he does, he has that great scene where he comes in singing My Fair Lady and <laughs> pretending to be drunk and having the invented the banana daiquiri. <laughs> oh, my God. I always carry a banana with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he, his personality, though, very much has this sort of trickster vibe to it. Um, one thing that really got better with the second series of Doctor Who, with uh, the David Tennant and onward, you started to have the great one-off lines that you didn't really have in in the Christopher Eccleston year. Mm-hmm. Um, you had good character building for the Doctor in the Christopher Eccleston year, but it just didn't have that wit. Yeah, yeah, the the comedic wit in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The the Christopher Eccleston year had the the farting aliens. David Tennant had the fabulous line, I just snogged Madame de Pompadour! I love that. <laughs> so good. I thought that the title sounded like something awful that you'd only hear in a deposition. Like, we found several severed heads in the linen closet. And oh! The girl in the fireplace. In the fireplace. <laughs> That's horrible. And it was like, oh. And then the first lines when King Louis comes in and he says, we're under attack, they're creatures, I don't think they're human. I chuckled to myself because I was like, hey, they're French. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. And then realized that that's the King Louis after him was the King Louis who was, you know, had, had people who attacked him. So I had to get my French Revolution straight. But yeah, Madame de Pompadour. Yeah, that was... That actress, who's the actress? She's great. Her name is Sophia Miles, who was dating the Doctor at the time? Yes. At the time, they were uh, boyfriend-girlfriend. That explains so much. Great They had great chemistry. Really, not to jump ahead to the ending, but it was sad. Because like, <laughs> yeah. it was like, hey, look, everyone's going to be happy, and then, ugh. It's like the Doctor didn't learn, you know, turn away for a second, and years pass, or time passes, but... Yeah, that can that can be chalked up to the Doctor basically being, you know... A hyperactive two-year-old in the yeah. body of a nine-hundred-year-old man. Yeah, that looks like David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> so they get on the spaceship. They find out that it's linked to her room, and we never—do we ever find out why? Like, we find out that the ship is actually called Madame de Pompadour. Yeah, that's do we that's, know? Well, they, they have a throwaway line where it's like there was some sort of error in the in the ship's computer where it basically became obsessed with her. Yeah. Okay. And the ship was named Madame de Pompadour. Yeah. Again, we are spoiling the episode within yeah. five minutes of our discussion. Well, it's it. Doctor Who, so we're going out of order. Uh, true. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was really just kind of sweet how, you know, he, like, takes care of the monster under her bed when she's a little girl, you know? Yeah. 
Um, this is... I, Stephen Moffat wrote this episode. And before he became the showrunner, which he did starting with season five with Matt Smith, um, Stephen Moffat wrote the best episodes of Doctor Who. He wrote Blink. He wrote this one. He wrote... Uh, the Empty Child and The Doctor Dances, the two-parter for Christopher Eccleston. These are the best episodes of the Russell T. Davis era. Um, this episode, I realize, is kind of the template for everything that happens in his first year of Doctor Who. It has the girl that the Doctor meets when she is a child who grows up to fall in love with him. Oh, um, It has, you know, like... Madame de Pompadour is kind of this weird mix of Amy Pond and River Song, who is... I don't think you've seen any River Song yet. Not yet. River Song is this... River Song is great. River Song is a That's great character. That's what everyone character. says She's universally. a great character played by Alex Kingston and her fantastically curly hair. I love Alex Kingston. Oh, so good. Speaking of heroes and good things about heroes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, River Song is this sort of hyper-competent time traveler... Like, she's the only person that we see who can regularly outsmart the Doctor, but mm. she's on his side. And there are shades of that sort of thing with uh, Madame de Pompadour, with Renette. Because um, she's she's quick. She's super smart. Like, crazy stuff mm. happening, and she's like, okay, and like is able to keep up with, you know, the gist of the situation. Yeah. With robots running around. So, Clockwork well, robots. And, and then they have the whole Vulcan mind meld moment, and she oh, doesn't yeah. go crazy from that. Yeah. yeah. That's she, she she absorbs some of the Doctor, some of the freaking Doctor, and she's okay. That's yeah. kind of a weird thing, because I don't think the Doctor has the ability to mind meld in any other episode that I've seen. <laughs> but, you know, the internal consistency Moffat's of Doctor Who... Moffat's gonna Moffat. The internal consistency of Doctor Who is just bad. Sometimes the Doctor can't hop back and forth in time in the TARDIS, and sometimes he can. Like, there's absolutely no reason, really, why he can't get in the TARDIS and go back to before he turned his back on Madame de he Pompadour. He did another throwaway line. He said, we're part of events now. That that holds up in this episode, but it doesn't in others. Right. It makes... There's no internal yeah. consistency. The MST3K theme song really applies here. You just have to repeat to yourself, it's just a show. I should really just relax, because the <laughs> rules are not going to make sense. That's, that is a good and rule. And they don't yeah. make sense in this show, but you kind of don't care, because it's... It's all about the characters. Yeah, the plot is not the important part. The emotional journey is the important part. And this has a great emotional journey to it. You know what it doesn't have a great thing of? Villains. I hate the clockwork. You do? I, I do. I love these things. I thought they were pretty sinister. The masks like, and everything? Yeah, the masks, and then you, you take it off, and it's got the whirring little clockwork. I thought they were cool. Yeah. You well, like I them. did not like them. Why didn't you like them? Because, well, I, I think that I liked them up until they talked. Uh, okay. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, obnoxious British robot voice that is used over and over and over in different Doctor Who episodes for anything robotic. Again, budget. Um, uh, no, I can, I can see that, but I I was always just so caught up in the visual. The, those creepy masks, the French clothing. The long hair. Yeah, the long wigs, yeah. and then the clockwork underneath. I loved that visual, and it I was kind of creepy to me. Yeah, I thought they were great, and I think I wanted to talk about this in in looking at some of the older episodes. Um, when you talk about Jaws, the movie Jaws, and I can usually tie everything back to Jaws because it's the best, <laughs> but they couldn't use the shark they had constructed the whole time, so they had to come up with different ways to scare the audience to indicate the shark was there. The music came in; they would show just the fin. They would show those barrels, you know, coming after the ship. Do you think that a limited 
budget, limited means, or problems always can help creativity. I, I just think, I mean, it happens where they have to have better writing, better, you know, to make up for other little lapses like, you know, they talked about they came up with the masks to put on their faces instead of just having camera angles where you never saw their faces. Well, it, it, it adds a lot of tension. It's like, you know, my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie is not The Sixth Sense, it's Signs. Hmm. And the way that that builds so much tension without really showing you the aliens yeah. is wonderful. And, and that's, that's how I feel like good, good drama can happen with just fear of the unknown. Yeah. On an unrelated note, Signs is awful and Brady is wrong. I liked it. <laughs> okay, well, we went. It was I was still in high school, and we went with a bunch of girls to see the movie. And as it turned out, the only seats that were available were four in one row and four right behind them. And so we knew that there were going to be there was like going to be a hand that came out from the pantry. Right? You know what's happening. Here it comes. It's going to happen any second. And we all leaned forward to scare the girls in front of us, and the hand came out faster than we were anticipating. And we all froze and got really freaked out and just kind of leaned back in our seats <laughs> and watched the rest of the movie. So, but back to these uh, clockwork robots. I don't know, Brady. I like I liked him, yeah, but I can understand yeah. where you, you might be kind of like, eh, so what, you know? Yeah. But um, I, I will say the body parts in the spaceship are are creepy. Yeah. Now, okay, so they took apart parts of their own crew, the clockwork yep. people, and then people, people. Yep. To to repair their ship. Ooh. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. Um, but yeah. At the same time, this is like I don't know. To me, the the it's a little silly mm -hmm. to have. I I had the exact opposite response. I thought the clockwork things were creepy, and I thought the eyeball and the camera was a bit over the top. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't think that's how uh, technology works. I yeah. don't think you can wire an eyeball into a camera. But I think that's good that like you you can't always you don't always know what's going to come from these episodes like. The rules that they're working with are fluid and, and not always what we're used to seeing. You can watch a sitcom, any sitcom, any channel, and you can recognize the story beats. You know what's going to happen when. You know that if character A walks into the room where this type of situation is going on, you know you know exactly how it's going to play out. Maybe you don't all the, know all the jokes, but you know what's going to happen. And the most successful comedies or dramas or whatever the case may be is where they subvert that and they go in a different direction where you weren't expecting it because they're, you know, not just going for the same old jokes over and over again. Yeah. Or aliens, or whatever the case may be. True, true, that variety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to say about this episode, and again, this kind of applies to Stephen Moffat in general. The bulk of Doctor Who tends to use time travel as a device of getting the Doctor and his companion into the plot. Like, they time travel to Victorian England, and Charles Dickens is being haunted by ghosts. That's the methodology. The time travel gets them to meet Charles Dickens. But after that, they just play out like a horror story that happens to co-star Charles Dickens. Right. Um, Stephen Moffat likes to use time travel as a plot device where there are two different storylines that are unfolding at the same time. And, um, and the windowed rooms is... The windowed rooms, like that's, that. a, that's a huge part of it. The time Definitely. travel is a part of the plot. That even they're they're very restricted in how they can move back and forth between time, but the doctor has to save the day by judiciously applying his time travel ability to the situation to pop up right at the exact moment where he's needed. Mm -hmm. That's very very much a Moffat thing to do. It's pretty cool, is all I'm trying to say, because yeah. it's it's really clever to do that. 
it, it's really easy to use time travel as a device to take Bill and Ted to meet Napoleon. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a lot more difficult to do Bill and Ted knowing they're going to beat the bad guy at the end of Bill and Ted's bogus journey. So they plan right now to beat the bad guy and then go back in time to drop off the stuff that they need to beat the bad guy remember, so they can grab the stuff Remember out. a trash can. Remember a trash can. Yeah, exactly. I love how they're like, hey... Where are the keys? Let's just leave them somewhere where you'd put them. Look right here. Hey! <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about Blink, but I really love that. How, like, in the end, how it all plays out. How something happens to this girl, and in order to save herself, it's something that will happen in the future that she has to do. To like how how the doctor moves through time is just really yeah, yeah. that that was a genius time mm-hmm. travel yeah. episode and Moffat plays with it better than almost any other Doctor Who writer I would yeah. say it, it's one of his strengths as a figure attached to this franchise definitely what do you guys think about Mickey I, I do just, not like Mickey until no? later on when basically when he leaves and has to become a man hmm. in the series and then I like him a little bit more but. In, I'm not a big fan of Mickey. Mickey is the the. He's no Rory. I'll Mickey say that. is treated very poorly by the plot. He is. Um, I don't think they were consciously playing into the cowardly black man stereotype, but he is very much the cowardly black man for a long, long time in Doctor Who. He mans up a little bit partway through the Christopher Eccleston series. Um, partway through or uh, season two, he's doing okay. Uh, he gets better. But ultimately, as far as uh, companions or pseudo-companions go, Mickey's pretty weak. Yeah. It just kind of felt like an extra person yeah. in the room. Nothing against him. Like, I've only seen, like, three episodes that have him in it. But I wasn't wild about the first two I saw with Christopher Eccleston. He gets... This was, this he was does his get first better. Time. Yeah. Well, this was his first time actually going anywhere with yes. the right? Yes. Before that, he but, but knew... But at, at this was, point, he's the robotic dog that stays in the car. Uh, can, can I? Uh, that 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 joke gets made. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Jeez. That joke gets made. You you will love that episode. By the way, looking forward. Anyway, um, yeah, back to uh, girl in the fireplace. We got anything else to say about it? I just loved it. I thought that the the connection between those two was really great. Um, sad ending, but it kind of you know pinpoints kind of how he's lonely all the time anyway. Like that's kind of what his life is. He meets people and. You know, he's going to outlive everyone. Yeah. And so it's tough. Yeah, definitely. But the, I thought the actress was really great, Sophia Miles. Yes. Really yeah, she did, she did an awesome job. Very, very, very good. All yeah. right, so moving on to Vincent and the Doctor. <laughs> so I finished watching Girl in the Fireplace, and I texted Brady, and I said, Oh, this made me sad. It was so sad. And he's like, Oh. oh You're God. watching Vincent and the Doctor You're going to watch Vincent and the Doctor. <laughs> Season 5. Yeah, I got, oh. I thought you were like, stop, <laughs> no, don't I, go there. I, I'm trying to help you out surreptitiously <laughs> so nobody knows that we're interrupting the conversation. The IMDb's. So, um, I, this is my first Matt, well, no, this is not true. I saw Matt Smith's first two episodes. Which I, I, not I, enough. I, lo- I love his It was great. It was great. I just didn't get enough of, like, Matt Smith. Because, now, explain the differences between David Tennant's Doctor and Matt Smith's Doctor. It seems like Matt Smith is a little crazy. Yes. Because of what happens to David Tennant at the end of his run? I don't know. I don't think that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it, oh, okay. it's just every time that the Doctor regenerates, he has a new personality. Right. And I would say that Matt Smith's Doctor is a little bit more manic, uh-huh. but has a lot more going on behind the scenes than it seems. Like, he's he's a lot more together than he 
then he acts, you know, then his, like then his constant, that is constant, you know, rubbing his hands and flailing about, you know, kind of get away with like, it. I'd be great at a job. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> Matt, Matt Smith is probably my favorite of the new who yeah. doctors. He's, he's my, I, I love David Tennant. I, I really do, but I have such hard feelings about how Russell T. Davis ended Matt Tennant's or David Tennant's run. He didn't know how to end it. Uh, and kept on trying. Matt Smith, though, like from the get go, he's got this fun energy behind him. I think it's funny that technically Matt Smith is the oldest of the Doctors. I use the scare quotes again that he's the oldest, but the actor is the youngest person I think to ever play the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also seems to be the one who is the least familiar with what human beings actually do. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, he, despite the fact that he's been hanging around them for 12 lifetimes now. Yeah. I mean, take take a look at episodes like The Lodger, or the um, the one with the slow invasion with the cubes. Can't remember what, what that one was called. I don't but, think I saw that one. Yeah, I think that might be a season seven. Yeah, I haven't seen season seven, so yeah. Um... Yeah, so Matt Smith, I love. I love his doofy hair. I love his ridiculous fashion sense. Bow ties are cool. Bow ties are cool. <laughs> That's what I love how he points out to Bill Nye, and I was like, Bill Nye! <laughs> now, okay, so does he wear a fez or only sometimes? Is that even a thing? There's that just like thing. A... You, you'll, you'll see the thing. The yeah, it, thing. It's, it's played out really well. Okay, because it popped in, up in, in Day of the, the Doctor. Thing. Yes. And then, okay. Yeah, it's a callback to a, a later <clears throat> episode. Um, I've got to say that when we. Emily is the one, Emily's not here tonight, unfortunately. Emily's the one who suggested that we watch Vincent and the Doctor. I rolled my eyes, because the first time I watched this, the second time I watched this, I didn't like it. Um, and I don't know why anymore. I think it had a lot to do with the attitude that I went into it with. Because if you watch the whole series, the episodes right before this are the worst episodes I don't of the think first so. Matt Smith season. Well, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the Hungry Earth or whatever it's yeah. called, they're the worst season five episodes, yeah. easily. Um, and I'm just... So I was kind of already in this mindset where, uh, this show is killing me. And then this episode comes on, and it's super emotional, and I think a little manipulative... <laughs> And it bothers me. Today, though, having heard Emily rave about it, and then John posted his response on our little chat, I'm like, okay, I'm going to just try to filter out all of my preconception, all of my uh, opinions from the first couple times I've watched it, and just enjoy the ride. Um, And yeah, I was not impressed with the uh, invisible chicken monster. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it looks like a a turkey uh, ninja turtle to me. That's what I wrote down. But, yeah. But... The stuff with Van Gogh, or however, Van Gogh is how I pronounce it because I'm American. Um, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's good. And the guy who plays Van Gogh... Knocks it out of the park. Oh, yeah. such a good likeness. Everything. He's, uh, what's his name? Tony Curran? Yeah, Tony Curran. Tony Curran. I don't know anything about him. He's great in this episode. He's, Absolutely He's popped up in other stuff, but yeah. Uh, and there was, I mean, what you were saying earlier, there's... A little bit they kind of play on, like, everybody knows Van Gogh, everybody loves Van Gogh, so we're just going to go with it, you know, 
part of part of my problem is like I want to get all inside baseball because I you know, I like art. So I want to be like, so how does he paint? What's, what kind of paints does he use? <laughs> and so they're just mostly for, focusing on him being a tortured artist. Aren't aren't you a tortured artist too, Steven? Of course I'm a tortured artist. There's a tortured artist inside. Being a tortured artist right? does not make you a special little snowflake. No, it makes you sympathize with another tortured artist though. That's why I'm surprised that it took you several episodes to like. Like it, it took me several viewings to watch it. Ultimately, what this episode has always done, even when I didn't like it, it did make me appreciate Van Gogh's artwork, because I'm not an art student in the same way that you are. Um, I, I had no real appreciation for Van Gogh's artwork, but the way that they describe how he is carving out the uh, the colors with his brush... and the, As he's looking in the night sky. Yeah, it turns oh, into starry, seeing, starry night. seeing that and, like... Having how they wrote his perspective of how he sees everything and him describing colors, it was really vivid and really I loved that. Yeah, and, and it, you've got a time travel show that is making you appreciate history a little bit more, which just sounds like the original point of the show. Yeah, right? but yeah. instead of being strictly educational, it's very much tying into the emotional part of the history. What makes what makes history worth studying, and what makes art in this case worth studying. That's the most you can ask to do, I think, yeah. it, it, with this sort of, of premise. So my opinion of it grew immensely. Not not to be like a that guy kind of moment, but I, it starts and ends in the Musée d'Orsay, and I was I was there two years ago. <laughs> in, in the Vincent Van Gogh room, and it's gorgeous. I don't know if all the pieces they show on the show are in there. What, was Bill Nighy working there? You know, he wasn't. Oh, man. <laughs> had one of those back-in-five-minute signs, and we had to go. Uh-huh. So it was very... I wanted, I wanted to ask him about... Uh, you know, uh, Davy Jones. But anyhow, I, I really love the episode. I, I like the the more we got into this, the less notes I took because I was just like the next episode. My only note is John Hurt, and that's it. <laughs> I was just like really like into all the episodes. Um, so so I, I will say yeah. that that this episode has one of my favorite things about Matt Smith, and that's his his wackiness and his kind of awkward flailing type stuff that he does with I, I i liked his device i thought that that i thought that that was fun you know seeing him put this ridiculous harness well, on bringing it up he's like this this was just a terrible <laughs> present from so and so like from my from my godmother with two heads yeah bad breath twice <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's that that wit that we started seeing with the david Tennant doctor it comes to the four with Matt Smith, and I and, love the humor. And what a great idea for a villain for as far as saving budget, because like it's not the best CG. No, it's but there's not. still enough threat there that <laughs> you believe like, oh, this thing is killing people. Again, that goes back to the Daleks, you yep, know. You've yep. got low, low budget villains, low. but you still treat them like a credible threat. And even if you think it's campy and dumb, there is fun to be had from campy and well, dumb. The fact that you only can see it in his like rearview mirror, and I love that when he looks at it the first time to test to see if it's working, the pictures of the first two doctors come up. <laughs> and it's just like, hey! Yeah. Great, great in-jokes. A, a lot of almost slavish devotion to Doctor Who history, which yeah. is another... Like New Who does that all the time. New Who, not just not just Moffat, but Davies did it all the time too. And I think that's all right because yeah. that's what kind of the fans yeah. want, and then you feel like you're more connected because you know what the Easter eggs are. Yeah, that's why I read Marvel comics. Yeah, <laughs> because I want to like be the guy in the theater going ho ho, and everyone else is like, "Who's that?" It's Thanos, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was that guy in the theater. See, that's yeah, there we were go. all that guy in the theater. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. <clears throat> One thing that I love about this episode is that this is... And it's also one of the things that I don't like about the episode. This is an episode where the Doctor very clearly loses the day. 
He doesn't save anyone. Mm-mm. Doesn't save Vincent. He doesn't save the the chicken monster. Nobody gets saved. And there's this underlying sort of tragedy because um, you can tell that Amy Pond, something is missing from Amy's life. And then why it, are you crying? It keeps coming up. And I just, I was wondering how well this episode would play if this was the first episode you ever saw with Amy Pond in it. And all of a sudden, I just realized how engaging that stuff is. If you don't know what's going on, maybe John would be a better person to speak to this. Just as far as, like... Why was Amy crying? Like, there's this great sadness behind Amy. I don't know enough about her character, but as far as, like, having an emotional connection to a piece of art, like... That's what hits me in a museum. Right? Like I know what piece is there. I've read about it in art history. I go in and I actually see it. I see the brush strokes. I see what what size it really is in real life. I don't know. The, the, it, it hits you. Yeah. You know? Like my wife and I went to see um, Monet's Water Lilies. There's a, a museum that's L'Orangerie. It's just uh, like down from the Louvre. They're all kind of right there. And you go in and it's just two circular rooms. It's in Midnight in Paris if you've seen that. They go there. Two circular rooms that's just the water lily paintings. And my wife like just like bald. <laughs> it's just such a peaceful feeling. Like You can get that kind of... I, I don't know if it's sadness as much as it's just yeah. an emotional connection. I think you need to re-watch these episode, or this episode in particular after having seen some more of Amy, uh, Amy Pond because it plays out very very differently when you know where what's, those tears, what's going on with where Amy. those tears are coming from yeah yeah it's it's not just her appreciation for van gogh and it's not just her appreciation of of the art um, See that? there there is yeah. other stuff going on there and it's only like it's teased at it's teased at really well mm-hmm. but not in a way that i think is distracting if you don't know where it's coming from no i think that it was still like, the episode still worked without me being like, huh, who's that? Huh, who's yeah. that? And, like, Day of the Doctor, I was a little bit like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going I think I know what's going on. In a way that was okay, in a way that made me excited to go back and watch more. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff I think you're going you're gonna to be really excited about to yeah. watch it the second time. Um, I, I know Brady's going to ask the question. I'm going to ask it right now because I want to talk about Amy Pond. What do you think about Amy Pond? Oh, I love her. Oh. She's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Amy is a... Uh, She's great. <laughs> okay, I thought you were gonna turn it and be like, "I hate Amy." I'm no, like, what? what? No, um, I, no. I loved her first episode. That's one I have seen. Oh yeah, so you her going from a little girl and like how she's you know kind of rough at first and really upset that the doctor abandoned her when he didn't mean to. It just you know whatever happened happened and yeah. he ended up coming in you yeah know, in back into her life when she was an adult. And it doesn't, uh, guys. I'm a bit of a pig. But Karen Gillan is hot. <laughs> oh, she is. Oh, she's, she's gorgeous. I, That's I got a, just a fact. I got a thing for redheads. I really do believe that every person, every guy's first crush should be a redheaded girl with a Polish last name. Do you because like, did you mine like, was Angie Slagowski. Did, <laughs> <laughs> did you read Peanuts comics as a kid? Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> the little perfect. redheaded girl? It's perfect. Those, those comics really spoke to me because, again, crush on a redhead. Well, I, I still have a thing for, for little... Wait, let me rephrase that before it gets bad. Yeah, backtrack a little there. I have we, we, we don't crush. want to repeat of the last yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> I have a crush on redheads. I've got a thing for redheads, it's true. And so Amy Pond, um, wonderful. I, I think she's wonderful. I think she's everything that Rose was not. Where Rose was the blank slate that we needed to get into the franchise, Amy is the character. Mm. She's got wants, she's got needs, she's got likes and dislikes, and you know her dislikes because she will make sure you know... Um, the pawns are by far my favorite companions. Yes, yes, far by away. far, far and away. Companions. Especially for especially for New Who. I, I mentioned on the the Facebook page. I do like Ace 
nobody here knows about Ace because she's classic Who. She's uh, Sylvester McCoy's companion. But yeah, no. Amy Pond, in particular, is great. Um, Arthur Darville as Rory, who you haven't seen no, uh, in any meaningful capacity. Yeah. Um, he's also great, but he doesn't really come into his own until season six. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Amy Pond, right from the get-go. Well, I, I don't know, season... Season 5 has the Pandorica, right? So yes. It has, it so it has does have the Centurion, Centurion stuff. But it's after that that he really, like, levels up. Right. But that's that's the moment, but you don't see it play out until the following season. That's my thought. Right. But Amy Pond herself, just her, her vibrant personality, that's a bit of a cliche to say it like that, but compared to Rose especially, she has this, this personality that you can really latch onto and... The interplay between her and the Doctor, where it's fun, it's a little bit flirtatious, but not really romantic, because her heart kind of lies elsewhere most of the time. Yeah. Um, like, it's, except it's totally romantic at parts. Anyway, it, it's a great interaction between these two characters. Um, Amy and the Doctor play off each other very, very well. She is the perfect companion for Matt Smith. Definitely. I have not seen enough of how he plays off of Jenna Coleman, who is also very attractive. Such a pig, you guys. Um... <laughs> But but he's only with Jenna Coleman for half a season. Yeah. And when, there's some great episodes in that half a season, but... What? Including... Day of the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Day of the Doctor, this is the one episode that I didn't really get to watch right before the podcast, so I don't have as much to say about it, I don't think. Because um, my memory's not as fresh. It'll probably come back. Yeah, as we talk about there's it. There's a lot sure. of big stuff that happened. So, Day of the Doctor is... The 50th anniversary special, where they were so they, they were so excited to bring to have this episode, and they were hyping it up, hyping it up, hyping it up, hyping it up. And I remember going into it saying, "There's no way that it's going to live up to the hype." I'm going in with low expectations, and it blew me away. Yeah. Well, I was I was looking for I didn't re- I thought it would be all of the doctors. Only later finding out that the first Doctor has actually passed away, and they've done specials with him before. And they did kind of reference as many as they could, but were, not all of them were available. But yeah, this is the one where my only note is, John Hurt! <laughs> and as soon as, you know, it was good seeing him as an alien bursting into places, or out of places, rather than having an alien inside of him bursting out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got that. So the picture on IMDb is, is David Tennant talking to the bunny, thinking it's the <laughs> shapeshifter. <laughs> Or just a rabbit. Right. Oh, the, 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 <laughs> so the... The Vigons, is it? Vogons? Vogons is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. They're the... Tongue the guys. Yeah. They're classic Who villains, They are right? classic Who villains, and frankly, I was underwhelmed by their appearance yeah. on this. They, they weren't all that important, even though there were some fun things with... With Queen Elizabeth I, and... Yeah, actually, that's a bit of a running gag from David Tennant's time. Yeah. That he had some sort of rivalry with Elizabeth I. It was never made clear what that was. This is where we finally saw it. Um, And it was kind of interesting. Um, The the Doctor has had some relationships with a lot of different women. Yes, he has. Over over the centuries. Madame de Pompadour. (laughs) Yeah. And Elizabeth I... And Marilyn Monroe. Yes. Yeah. We, oh. You know, you'll find out about that one eventually. <laughs> but um, I gotta say that this episode didn't really do much for me. Really? Because I, I don't think I do not think it lived up to the hype at all. 
Um, my biggest problem with it was that it plays Matt Smith and uh, David Tennant off of each other as if they are very, very similar. But they're not. Like they, they, they were in the episode. They were in the episode, but the episode was written specifically to be like that. Like, right. there's this moment where David Tennant puts on his glasses and Matt Smith puts on his glasses, and they look at each other and go, "Oh, oh hey. yeah." <laughs> I don't. I don't remember Matt Smith ever wearing glasses in oh, any of the other episodes. He he has. I it never stuck out to me the same way it did with David Tennant. Yeah. The little you know sock screwdriver bit, a little you know <laughs> measuring My thing fear. there. <laughs> <laughs> that was inevitable, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think that John Hurt was so perfectly in, you know, kind of tempering mm-hmm. the energy that those two brought. Mm-hmm. John Hurt was a, was a good addition. He wasn't intended to be in it. His role was intended to be played by Christopher Eccleston. Hmm. Christopher Eccleston didn't want anything to do with it. There you go. So really? they, they created another doctor because they couldn't get Eccleston to come back. So he's he's the war doctor, right? So he's the doctor before Christopher Eccleston in the timeline of yeah, in the timeline of Doctor Who. Paul McGann, who did the made-for-TV movie and apparently did great stuff after the movie with like audiobooks and stuff, he dies and regenerates into the doctor that they need in order to end the time war. Who is a soldier who, you know, has to make the terrible decision to detonate this bomb or whatever it is that Rose or that. the moment. Yes, the moment. That, that device that uh, Billy Piper is playing right. in, in The Time of the Doctor. He's the one who's going to do that and end the time war by killing everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like that moment when she's like, well, that's, that's your punishment. You live. You know? It was kind of like, oh. Yeah. It kind of explained, you know, at least in that moment before things get all crazy about, like, you know, why he carries so much... Like, beneath the exterior of, oh, I'm the doctor, there's there's pain, you know, that, I don't know, it makes him interesting. So what did you guys think about Unit's involvement? I liked that. I did like that. Um, Classic Who fan. Unit is a big part of Classic Who. Mm. They pop up a little bit in New Who. Uh, This is probably their most prominent role, but I think they had a role in in Series 4 as well. What's the difference between Unit and Torchwood? Uh, Unit is... Secret organizations? Yeah, Unit is a little less... uh, evil. Oh, God. Um, yeah. <laughs> Torchwood gets less evil, but Unit was, like, I want to say it's Third Doctor. A doctor who, like the Third Doctor, pals around with Unit. He gets actually banished by the Time Lords, trapped on Earth, oh. and all of his adventures, there's almost no time travel. It's weird aliens attacking Earth, and Doctor Who is working with Unit to repel them. Oh. And he drives around in a Who-mobile. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, again, this is a really, really, really cheesy show, guys. But I think once you accept that premise within that framework, it's really enjoyable. There's a lot of compelling stuff. If you're stuff. just like, yeah, okay, there's a little bit of cheesiness to it, but after that, like, there's a lot of really great writing and great character work. So. A lot of great emotional stuff. Yeah. And See, John and Hurt's presence oh. brings out so much of it. Well, it's oh, funny definitely. seeing him looking at his future incarnations. It kind of worked like a father looking at his sons, almost. Yeah, almost, you know, like, yeah. Oh, like, he was like disappointed in himself a little bit. For, like, them being the way that they were and, like, wondering how things were going to change, you know, in the future for him. It was interesting to see how that all worked together. Like, having the young, the, the oldest doctor, and the well, anyway. I guess he's he's the youngest 
but they're older than him because they're future lives of his. See, this time travel nonsense <laughs> will just make you dizzy. Yeah, um, but that that is the best emotional core in this episode, is the interaction between the Doctors and how they respond to this horrible thing that John Hurt is going to do, yep. and that they have already done. David Tennant is still haunted by it, whereas Matt Smith is repressing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a 900-year-old man who is repressing the worst moment of his life, yeah. um, and he gets a lot of crap for it. I do remember being really impressed with how they handled that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It was the plot itself that left me cold, but the emotional stuff here, no, it, it's pretty good. So, I, I also have to just do a callback. This is the best that Billy Piper has ever been in Doctor Who. <laughs> And she's man, not Rose. Man, you hate her so much. I do. <laughs> oh my god. I do, but but you know, as this kind of crazy voice of the box, she yeah. did a great job. You know, with... I, I am very very glad that she did not play Rose. Exactly. If she had played Rose, that would have been a huge problem for me. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Like, why would she have shown up? But the 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 moment doesn't know about what time he just picks a companion. Yeah. Turns out to be Rose, you know. Yeah, and, th- and that worked, and it worked really well. And once I heard of Billy Piper's involvement, I got freaked out and thought, no, this is horrible. <laughs> when it turned out the way it did, I was like, nope, that, that worked okay. I have no problems with that at all. Now, ex- I don't know anything about Bad Wolf. Don't. Don't, don't yeah. even. Don't even. Bad Wolf is awful. Yeah, it, it's, it's an awful recurring thing that... This, that it's the type of thing that Russell T Davies likes to throw into seasons. He likes to have a season arc and like a season code word, and uh, sometimes it works really well. Like Torchwood worked pretty well. Bad Wolf did not. Bad Wolf was the code, the arc word for uh, season one, and it just it doesn't work. Somehow Rose is the Bad Wolf, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, no, it, the it big really Bad doesn't. Wolf. It's, it's just, mm. Watch the rest of season one. All right. We'll come back and talk about it, and you won't get it either. You're going to turn me into a Whovian. Yeah. All We're right. already there. Well, I, I liked how, what they came up with, opening up like storylines story and story options and stuff, as far as the solution they had to the whole time war and everything. Yeah, and, 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 and I like how you know, there's this joy in knowing that they didn't destroy yeah. their entire race. But they're going to But at the same it. time... The sadness that they're not going to know that. Yeah. I'm a little... I'm not sure what I think about this, honestly. Um, Because, like... The Time Lords, when they show up in in the Russell T. Davis era, um, other than the Master, spoiler, by the way, they're massively problematic. Mm. They're just just not... Plus, they're led by Timothy Dalton. That sounds like you mean it to be a plus, but it's not. It's kind of a bad thing. I liked his Bond movies. Well, I liked I liked, his Bond I liked movies. License to Kill. Yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> so having the Time Lords come back, it like completely undoes the emotional core that started the whole thing off. The torture of the Doctor being the last of his kind, and um, like it negates everything that came before. And some of that's good, because it wipes out large parts of what I dislike about Russell T. Davis. But it's almost the same thing as the Daleks. We should have seen the end of the Daleks already. When you kill off your entire species in your fictional world, and then bring them back, and then kill them off again, and then bring them back again, people are going to stop caring. This is why Jean Grey has been dead for so long in comics. They can't keep (laughs) killing her off and make people care. So they're just leaving her dead. She's actually uh, alive. 
Well, oh. <laughs> there was time travel. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> we need to get Marvel Unlimited. Uh, no, because I've I've read some of New X Men. I'm not. I'm. That's not me. Oh, I liked it. Yeah. No, I love the quote. Whatever you got planned, forget it. I'm the Doctor. I'm 904 years old. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castorbros. I'm the oncoming storm, the bringer of darkness. And you are basically just rabbit, aren't you? <laughs> okay. Carry on. Just a general warning. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. Oh, great. But yeah. And the last thing I want to bring up for Day of the Doctor is Tom Baker's appearance at the end. So yeah, that was so he's like the custodian of that museum they're in, National Gallery. So basically, but... basically what it's what it's indicating is that eventually the Doctor reincarnates back to his Tom Baker self and grows old, being in charge of this. Oh, except of, of this art gallery. He's, is kind of what it's indicating. But it, it's not clear. Like, it's just... This is very much just a nod to the fans. Because it's never clear whether Tom Baker is actually playing the Doctor. Even though it's very... Listed in the credits. Heavily handed. There's that. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We all know who this is. But it's, <laughs> it's not explicit. So if they decide not to go that route, they won't. Either way, it is a fun, fun nod to the fans. Yeah. It is... It makes no sense narratively, really. But who cares? Because it's Tom freaking Baker. He is... He is Doctor Who for for most of the uh, fandom. He is the definitive Doctor, and I don't think that's there's anything wrong with bringing him back in this capacity. Um, I liked that part. And they did have a scarf. And they did have yeah. a scarf. Yes, his scarf with, with the, the, the scientist girl, girl who yeah. actually she does come back in in season eight. Huh. Yeah, the scarf actually pops up a lot as an Easter egg in. And I, I have to, I really would have to watch uh, the the Day of the Doctor again to really catch everything. But there are a lot of nods to oh, the Doctors. A oh, lot funny of stuff them. like Doctor, what's going on? It's a uh, timey wimey thing. Timey what? Timey wimey? I have no idea where he picks that stuff up. <laughs> like the interplay between the Doctors, you know? Yeah. Timey wimey yeah, being I, that line that has never gone away. Do you think some stuff is left ambiguous for them to build off of later? Or they have plans, or they don't know, and they just want to kind of just pepper it with little. I, I think that one. I, I think that one thing that Stephen Moffat likes to do is just take ideas and put it in his pocket, and then eventually might go. Ah, I guess I could bring this up again. Which is really important to do with any sort of serialized Definitely. storytelling. If you leave yourself little little windows for later, you know, little things you can build off of. But, yes. Yeah. All right. Last thoughts about Day of the Doctor. Is I, I liked it. Most, I, I really like John Hurt's Doctor. The most yeah. exciting thing to me about uh, Day of the Doctor was seeing Peter Capaldi's eyebrows. That was the most exciting thing. <laughs> no, thirteen. Dun dun dun. <laughs> the attack eyebrows. Yes. So let, let's talk a little bit about Peter Capaldi. Yes, let's. That that is the next thing on the agenda. It yes. is. And so now this is this is one where. The episode, I was the only one who had seen it prior yep. to planning this podcast. Yes. And I was the only one who had seen Peter Capaldi prior, yes. prior to planning this podcast. This is all true. And so before, before I start giving my thoughts on Peter Capaldi's Doctor, I want to know what you guys think. Love his accent. Oh, yeah. I love it. The Scottish is <laughs> The great. Scottish accent. They, they, they crack jokes about uh, Christopher Eccleston's accent uh, early on, but otherwise the Doctor's... And, and British television, they all try to have kind of the same accent. Like, there's a, a a standard accent for when you're on television that actors 
generally try to adopt for some reason. I don't really right. know, I don't really know the details behind that, the reasoning behind it. But just to have straight up Scottish accent and an angry Scottish accent too. That's when um, it really comes out too. Yeah, I I, I like it because it's very clear. This is the first Doctor, like, I I, I just I remember, I realized I just argued that uh, David Tennant and Matt Smith are very very different, but. No, Peter Capaldi is very, very different. Very See, I was different. expecting him to be, like, cranky and mean and stuff, but he kind of was still, like, playing around with everyone. You know? Yeah. Like, he was the only guy in the room who knew what was going on, even though he didn't know what was going on. I thought that, you know, the beginning was great. Like, what could happen from answering a phone call? And then, boom, they're in the middle of this heist, and none of them know what's going on. I thought that was great. Like, that that was a great start to the episode. I do have a question though about Clara. Do, she has a regular job. Yeah, she's, she's a, teacher. a teacher. I guess if you know you can time travel, you're never late anywhere. Like he gets her back. And, and there's actually a, a lot. Know. There's actually a lot in that season where, basically, and you know it explores it a lot with the pawns as well. But basically, the doctor comes in, takes her away, and puts her right back to exactly where she was. Yeah, yeah. which is actually nice because most of his companions, he doesn't do that. Yeah. He leaves them buried under piles of rubble or other things. You're coming with me, you gotta he go. He abandons them. Yeah, the fact that he's actually taking these people back to their regular lives, that's actually an improvement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I love the line at the end of the episode. We robbed a bank. We robbed a whole bank. Beat that for your date. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of that, because I'm like... Was he jealous of her? Because that's kind of the, the, like the next time on Doctor Who that came up. Where he like gets into the school and becomes a custodian. Oh, you, you'll, you'll find like, out. You know. you'll, you'll find out more. Yeah, when, when the, as you watch those episodes, I, I I get tired of Doctor Who romance, and so I hope that's not what it's, it is. It's not. I at hope all. that's not, especially because oh, okay. Peter Capaldi. I, I I understood that Peter Capaldi did not want to have any romance with. Yeah, his and and it's more of a father daughter relationship, or you know, basically just good colleagues who fight and bicker a yeah. lot. That's good. I will say that as much as I enjoyed this episode, because I really did, um, I don't think it gave me the best sense of who Peter Capaldi's character is. Right. Like, he... The, the rest of the season is much darker, yeah, I would say. This feels like I could have seen Matt Smith do this. Because one of the most consistent elements that the Doctor has all throughout uh, New Who is this self-loathing. And the self-loathing of the Doctor is a big part of this episode. Like, how much he hates himself. But that's not unique to Peter Capaldi. It's like everybody, all of the Doctors have that self-loathing. Mm -hmm. They all hate themselves. And so, when that was the big character moment for him in this episode, I was like, I was a little disappointed because I it didn't give me a real sense of, of who Peter Capaldi's Doctor is. Yeah, you, you have to watch the rest of the season, especially... There is there is an episode that I was actually thinking about having us watch, and it's a very 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 Stephen Moffat episode <laughs> uh, called "Listen." Oh yeah, that that sounds like a Stephen Moffat episode just from the title. Yeah, where it's oh man, it it shows basically how really inside you know he's this he's this confident Scotsman on the outside with attack eyebrows. But how he is just scared. And how he's almost like a scared child. And there's just these really deep moments with that episode. But I wanted to give us something a little bit more fun. Yeah, and this was, this was certainly fun. Um, this also... This was co-written by Stephen Moffat. There were two writers uh, credited on it. 
The, Stephen Moffat has this trick where he like tries to take something really basic and really simple and make you afraid of it. Like he makes you afraid of closing your eyes and blink. He makes you afraid of like he talks about monsters under the bed in in A Girl in the Fireplace. Um, oh, and and that's listen. That's totally yeah. listen. And that's totally this episode too with mm. the uh what the teller? Was that the monster? Yeah, the, the 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 thing that looked like a hammerhead shark. Yeah, the teller the Hannibal don't... Lecter outfit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't think. Yeah, that that's such a Moffat trick. That, oh, that definitely. is totally a Moffat trick. Um it was, was gonna, good. I liked it. I was going to ask what you guys thought about him as a villain. Like part of me suspected that the whole heist was going to be to like break it out, you know. So it wasn't being used anymore, and then I shrugged that off. I was like, "No, something else is going to happen." <laughs> and I realized it wasn't going to be like actually robbing treasure or something like they were going to undo something. And then it turned out to be, you know, reuniting this creature with its misses. Yeah, again, like everything I've heard about the Peter Capaldi Doctor is that he's super dark. This was something that any of the other doctors would have done. Mm. This felt very much like, oh, this is the Doctor who respects life and loves people and hugs everything. Now, um, I still liked the episode, and I still thought it, he did a good job. Oh, yeah, he was great. Yeah. Um, the things that I liked about it was, and the things that gave me the sense that he really is this darker character were when uh, the shapeshifter lady and the human-computer side was that his name? John, Johnny Mnemonic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, when those characters died, and he just, like can't be bothered to mourn. Like, it, it's, it's not happened, like... It's over. It's it gone. wasn't even like, we'll mourn about it later. He said that, but he yeah. didn't mean it. Like, yeah. that I, I, I thought and was different. Not something that Matt Smith or David Tennant or even Christopher Eccleston would have done. And even as they, like, went into the vaults and were like, okay, well, I guess we'll get... We'll see what... We'll see what they would have gotten. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was still just kind of like, they're gone. And, of course... They weren't gone! Yeah. 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 But I, I did like that twist, actually, um, that they managed to come back. And the Doctor didn't know that they were going to come back. Um, like, I kind of like it when the Doctor doesn't know everything. Of course, the big twist of this episode... Is that he did know everything. Yeah, which, again... The, <laughs> but, but he still had the mind wipe himself. Yeah, yeah. he so, still had the mind wipe himself. Which but was a he great planned device. it. He, he was the architect. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't decide until it finally happened whether it was him or whether it was the owner of the bank. The minute yeah. he said, mm. the minute he said, "I hate the architect," I'm like, "Yep, yeah, it, it's the doctor. Yep. The doctor, <laughs> it's him, it's him." Again, there's there's not necessarily a textual clue, but there's a metatextual right. uh, uh, reference pool, which is how I figured out the ending of Broadchurch. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what did you think of Madame Arabroxis, or however you say it? Uh, less annoying than Henry Van Staten. Yeah, <laughs> I got but that. They, but they would enjoy a nice evening together. I think. Oh man, can you imagine? <laughs> we, we we would really need to get those two together. You know, for a nice candlelit dinner in some secluded restaurant that we subsequently bomb. Yeah. So that neither of them. Are, yeah. Well, no. I I you know, thought she was fine. Didn't. I was more impressed with. The computer character I, again was his name Psy? That's it's I, I, really I it's on Psy. the nose. It's, it's really uh, on the nose. Wait, let me see. Yeah. Yep, Psy. But his that moment when he's like calling the the teller to him so that it doesn't yeah. get Clara. That was that downloading was, all of the all of the all of the criminals into yeah. and just like, hey, I am the worst guy, and he's just there standing and he's silhouetted. That was such a hero moment, and that actor played it off. Really carried it really well, and then that last line that he has, "Hey, Clara, you know how when you die and your life flashes before your lives, you see all your loved people? I don't see anyone." And then he dies. 
Well, I was expecting him to say, I only see you. Yeah, I kind of expected that, and I'm glad and maybe that... It's, maybe it was under, like an, just understood, like, you know, this is normally where he would say that. Maybe that's what he's thinking, but we're not going to come out and say it. Because really, they've only had one scene together. Yeah. You know, where yeah. they've kind of shared a little bit of, well, his backstory, because she didn't really say much about herself. So. Yeah, I, I still don't know what Clara's deal is. We'll oh, find, you, yeah, I'll find out. Eventually. You'll find out. Um, I, I loved it, though. Yeah. It was great. It was tons of fun. It was a great use of, like, I've never seen a Doctor Who heist story. Mm-hmm. Never seen that before. Incorporated time travel in as far as the planning. Yeah, and, like, did you know, incorporate the time travel pretty well and gave us a pretty valid reason for why they weren't time traveling through, that they didn't have the TARDIS, and the reason they didn't have the TARDIS is because right. the Doctor knew they wouldn't need the TARDIS. Yeah, mm-hmm. planning everything just so, yeah. And explaining why. Because they wouldn't be... Oh, He's couldn't. yawning. Sorry. <laughs> Scared the yawn away. No, they they couldn't know every step of the plan, otherwise they'd get caught immediately by the teller. Yeah. They'd sense their guilt right away and get to them, leaving it confused enough to like give them some wiggle room, I think. So what, what do you guys think of the dent head? Oh, yeah. No, that was yeah. freaking. I don't want that to happen to me either. I'm with Cy. Don't sign me up for that. Can't, again, that, that to me that's kind of bad CG, low budget sort of horror thing, but played straight, so, you know, I thought it was goofy and cheesy, but goofy and cheesy is part of the charm of Doctor Who, ultimately. And so it's nice to see that they haven't strayed too far from their low-budget roots. That's true. Yeah. I I will definitely say that I thought that Psy was a pretty good side character, much more than Sabra. Not fleshed out enough. Yeah. She She was not fleshed out enough. Didn't get her chance. Like, she had her own little tragedy, but that it wasn't... That didn't really come out. That, that she can't touch people. Yeah. Without turning into them, which I know there are some people that would be totally okay with that. Yeah. Like, the fact that she's alone in the universe, nah. Well, nah, I, 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 did I like, don't buy that. I, I did like how, you know, that conversation that she had with the doctor is part of what tipped the doctor off to uh-huh. who the architect was. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, the could you tr- look into your own eyes and trust that person? Yeah, yeah bringing it out... Like, that almost feels, like, over the top, though, yeah. because it's already there. That would have been nice to just kind of leave in as sort of a, you know, just a subtle reminder mm-hmm. of of sort of the theme of this episode, rather than turning it into the sledgehammer. I will say, overall, with all of them, the Doctor's past experiences, his knowledge of alien races, the sonic screwdriver and the TARDIS are all kind of deus ex machina-y a little bit, you know, where it's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Okay, we're out. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like Doctor Strange, actually. Um, Doctor Strange is the magician of the Marvel Universe. We're getting a movie of him starring Benedict Cumberbatch, who was starred as Sherlock, which is written by Stephen Moffat. So I'm trying to tie it in. (laughs) Anyway, um, the thing about Doctor Strange is that the powers that he has, the magic spells that he can cast, do whatever the plot requires. And that's exactly the same way the Doctor is with the TARDIS and the screwdriver and the psychic paper and any number of other weird gadgets. Psychic paper. Yeah, (laughs) I love the psychic paper. I love it. Um, But yeah, so he can do whatever the plot requires. And so the important thing is not necessarily, and this is, again, this is kind of the same thing with Superman even, or any other number of fictional characters, Batman, whoever, anybody who has access to gadgets or weird, crazy powers, the important thing is not to set up necessarily a credible threat, um, but to tell a compelling story, however you need to do it. Sometimes that means focusing on the on the omnipotent character, the Doctor, and giving him a credible threat. Sometimes that means taking him almost out of the equation entirely and making the story about some girl named Sally Sparrow who finds creepy statues in an abandoned house. Well, 
Yeah, the the breadth of storytelling that is available to them with the time travel mechanic and all the other things that have been set up means that they don't have to work that hard to find an interesting plot, but they put a lot of craft into the writing. Definitely. And then the actors bring their A games, mm-hmm. and yeah, it creates some pretty compelling de- television, despite the goofiness, despite the low budget, despite the plot holes. Yeah. I think that's a good summation right there. Definitely. So, any last thoughts about Time Heist? Uh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> there I, are some things that didn't work as well, but I think, overall, I love heist movies, I love heist stories, and I think it worked as a good heist, and there was, you know, enough of what's what's really going on the whole time whether you know, trying to keep, keep out of security's reach. Yeah. I, I kind of have fallen off Doctor Who, as I've mentioned before. This has got me interested in seeing what else the Peter Capaldi, uh, Jenna Coleman era has brought us, because... They were both more compelling than I expected them to be. So I am I am a little bit sad this weekend. It was announced that Jenna Coleman will be leaving Doctor Who this Aww. season. <sighs> Which I, I don't have the attachment to her yet. She she is no Amy Pond at this moment. <laughs> the, the Ponds are still my favorite, and then Donna, and then Clara. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to see what else uh, these characters have to to offer, and I'm also pretty excited that it's all new to me. Like it, it, it'll be nice to have new Who again. Well, huh? I think that um, watching it, you know, as it comes out for once, you know, if I can ever get myself caught up, will help because most big things have already been spoiled through just memes, through whatever, you know. But uh, I'm still interested to find out, you know, and I think that. The time travel aspect, you know, yeah, maybe I watch it out of order, and maybe that's okay for this kind of, you know, yeah. some episodes you can, so. Well, it, it's like we were saying, you know, Stephen's first episode of New Who was Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are some great done-in-one episodes, and if you have not seen Doctor Who before, and you're interested in getting started after listening to this podcast, we've just given you... Five great episodes that you can watch, standalone. Well, I wouldn't start with Time of the Doctor. Watch Blink. Yeah. Or Day of the Doctor. What? Yeah. But it's not really Doctor Who. <laughs> Any of the other episodes that we brought up tonight, watch them. They're they're all pretty good. And, and Blink. And Blink. Because it's really good. We've brought up Blink enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, Doctor Who, good stuff. Woo! So. Doctor Woo-hoo! <laughs> that, that was just awful. I wish I had the lyrics. Right. You're welcome. It's uh All right, so Doctor. game releases. Life is like So the most important games have actually already list. been released and I've talked about one and that was Super Mario Maker. If you have a Wii U, you owe it to yourself, go and play that. It is it is so much fun. Even if you don't think that you're going to be into the actual game design aspect of it, just think of it as do you like Mario? <laughs> How about unlimited Mario? Ooh. Constant new levels and it's it's wonderful another game that i am very much wanting to get at some point because it is so little like the other games in the series in all of the right ways to me personally is metal gear solid 5 <laughs> yeah i've got some friends who've been playing that and that's all they are talking about nowadays yeah. metal gear solid so basically imagine open world metal, metal gear solid without you know 45-minute cutscenes. And and so the, I'm, I'm really excited for that. I want to definitely get on that and play it. And those are the two big ones, really, this for this entire month. 
not a whole lot of movies coming out. I mean, there are, but they're like I'm looking through. No desire to see the Intern personally or Hotel Transylvania too. A lot of horror, but I'm really, really excited. October second, The Martian comes out. Ooh. It's Ridley Scott and uh, Matt Damon, so he gets stranded on Mars, have to has to survive until a rescue mission can come back and get him. Um, amazing cast: Jessica Chastain, Kristen Wiig, Kate Mara, Sebastian Stan, who you may know as Bucky Barnes. Uh, ooh, Sean Bean. I wonder how quickly he'll die. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a lot of people more Michael Pena and Donald Glover, um, Jeff Daniels. So it's a Ridley Scott movie in space. <sighs> Enjoy. You know, like, kind of know what you're getting at. Uh, yeah. Ignore <clears throat> the fact that Prometheus exists and enjoy. You know, apart from the characters making stupid decisions in that over movie, and over and over, the biologist and over and over. is like, "Oh, I'm going to poke this alien and see what happens." We poke and this alien flower. The geologist thing. who mapped the whole all the tunnels and stuff. I'm lost. It's just ridiculous to me. But um, there, I'm trying to think of other like big movies. I mean, it's all coming down. I mean, Bridge of Spies comes out mid October. Um, Attack on Titan, I think they're they're coming out with that. Steve Jobs, October twenty third. Another Steve Jobs movie. Eh? Yeah, this was Michael Fassbender. I think it'll be all right. Basically, we're just. I don't know down. if you can ever beat Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> to be fair, I, I I don't think he was that bad in that movie. No, I I just I just, I just think that Steve Jobs him. doesn't deserve two movies. Yeah. <laughs> he said, not having an Apple device in his pocket, my new phone arrives next week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the big one, I mean, the one I'm looking forward to most next of it, of all these is Spectre, November the 6th. And we'll probably talk about that before, I mean, the next podcast will be in October, so. But new Bond, guys. And they're they're bringing in some of the classic stuffs, because they have the rights back, so. Excited. Yeah. I mean, comics are kind of the same old, same old. I mean, we're still in the middle of the Battle World event, I think, with uh, Marvel. I still got to catch up. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm way behind on it. Aldo's not here, which is a shame, because he's the one who'd really be able to talk about it. Yeah. Um, DC just announced that Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman and Batman 66 are both being cancelled coming up. Yeah. Which is slightly disappointing. Um, Wonder Woman deserves to have more comics. And Batman 66, not my cup of tea, but it is really good um, for the if you like that sort of sensibility. And it certainly, certainly has... Um, been one of the best uses of digital comics as a medium mm. um, that I've ever seen. So it is a shame that those are both being cancelled. Well, I think, like, how much do you really need to say with Batman 66? The, you know, it's had a good run. I, I don't know. No, that's true. It has been around for at least, like, two, three years. Which yeah. Is more than a lot of comics get. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything too exciting coming up at the moment. Um, but... Yeah, you kind of already know what's out there. If you haven't been reading the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series, though, they have a mini-series uh, where Casey Jones and April O'Neil go on a road trip and fall in love, so, you know, there's that, too. Finally, even waiting that since the first movie. <laughs> uh, it's a great series. It, that, it really is very good. That was the one action figure my parents could never find. I could never find it was Casey Jones. Yeah. I had, I, Casey I had like Jones. I had characters that I hadn't even seen on the cartoon yet. There was like this duck guy. That was, Ace Duck! Yeah, I remember Ace, Ace Duck. Duck. Yeah, Ace Duck. That was his name. I, I had the kangaroo. Oh, yeah? I remember. I, See, I don't even remember that. I had Bebop and, Bebop and Rocksteady. I had Mondo Gecko. 
I remember Mondo Gecko. I remember I that you had Mondo had, Gecko. My friends had him. I never had. I never had the blimp either. So I, I had, had the, the sewer. Blimp. Had the pizza shooter, um, but never the never the blimp. Yeah, so. Ninja Turtles. Good times. My friend Kyle across the street had the Technodrome. And oh, oh, the Technodrome. Uh, so, uh, tune in next month for reviews versus the Ninja Turtles toy line when we were kids. Uh. <laughs> yes, the late 80s, early 90s were a fun time. Yeah. All right, perfect. And that is it for this month's podcast. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Like us on Facebook. Go and... Um, Watch, watch our reviews Who. and yeah. watch watch freaking Doctor Who. If you can't tell, we we like it. We're we're a bit fanish, and I'm a convert now. Yay! Woo! One of us. One, One of us. us. Uh. <laughs> Untie me. All right. Woo! Have a good night. Bye.